1: Look, I know you brush your teeth every day to prevent uh, tooth decay. Many of us, well, not us, many of you <laughs> exercise and eat right, you know, to take care of your body, to ward off disease. Well, the vital role that I hope to uh, perform today is one of helping you to uh, do a little pre- preventative maintenance for your mind. That is to learn how to strengthen and fortify your mind against the effects of uh, first of all uh, atrophy from not to you know exercising your ability to think learning to trust yourself to think but also to protect yourself and strengthen yourself against the attempts of other people to manipulate your thinking yeah that's not acceptable so i'm here to encourage you to think as clearly as and as independently as possible without ever insisting that you have to believe whatever i say or whatever i share with you fair enough all right, let's plow forward. Got some great sponsors who make this program possible on a daily basis. It would mean a lot to me if you could uh, make sure that they know that their message reached your ears. They include GaragedoorProservices.com, LifesavingFood.com, College.org, and HSLAMO.com. Well, I've got a number of articles that I'm going to be sharing today that I think have some really good, useful, timely information. But before I go there, I kind of want to talk about the elephant in the room. And that is, uh, <laughs> holy cow, you know, the uh, destruction or at least the damaging of uh, the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines in the Baltic Ocean is raising a lot of eyebrows. Number one, it's it's causing, you know, of course, uh, ecological damage. But uh, this pipeline being attacked, which it appears it was a deliberate breakage in this pipeline, also raises the possibility of some very serious escalation in terms of um, Russia and its conflict with Ukraine, as well as uh, the U.S., which is, by by the way, very well involved, neck deep in that conflict, albeit from a, uh, you know, plausibly deniable distance. Yeah, it's, it's disturbing. I think a lot of people probably had a restless night last night, a little difficulty getting to sleep, just because it feels like the stakes have been raised considerably. So I wanted to share with you a thought that a friend had posted on Facebook yesterday. I thought she she really encapsulated what a lot of us are feeling. So with a, with a tip of the hat to Jamie Hepworth, Jamie, you, you really did a beautiful job here. She first of all asks, hey, friends, how's the weather where you are? In northern Nevada, she says we've had mostly clear blue skies, some beautiful cloud patterns. It's been sunshiny with a slight breeze. It's been great. In fact, she says pretty idyllic, actually. Anyways... She says, I've been wondering, if you happen to have an anxious sense of impending doom about the collapse of civilization, what would you do about it? Now, Jamie says, I sense the looming doom. I also feel fine about it. I bring this up in case you've been worried. I'd like to help you feel fine about the mists of doomy darkness on the horizon, too. So she says, let's talk about the top ten things you can do to be better prepared for whatever is coming that will shift everything about how we live life as we now know it. Her first suggestion, and I really like this, is work on your relationship with God every single day. Spend time in focused, personal prayer. Obey every prompting with exactness and diligence. Treasure and recognize what God has already given you by speaking about it out loud and writing it down. She says, accept Jesus as your Savior. Number two, Learn how to co-create miracles with God. When everything on this physical plane fails us, it is our faith in God that will sustain us. Be willing to believe more in what you don't see than what you do see. Learn to call forth that which would not otherwise be. Number three, spend more time loving on your family, especially your children. Your closest family relationships are special. Treasure them. Enjoy them. Number four, cultivate close relationships with people local to you. Engage in meaningful projects together. Engage in fun together. Learn to take care of each other and to rely on each other. Number five, contemplate how you can give greater value to the world for a lower cost and do it. She says, contemplate how generous you can be and then be so. Number six, put effort into building a parallel economy slash society. Make plans to get out of whatever work situation you are in now and to contribute to what is less attached to red tape and government control. Put effort into solutions that truly fix the problems at hand and at the deepest, most effective levels possible. Number 7. Focus on cultivating useful, practical, physical skills for yourself and with your family. Store bulk grains and legumes, store water, store seeds, store cleaning supplies, store necessities for your family. Store some books with helpful information, store some tools. Take an inventory of what you already have for schools and product product storage rather. Know how to use them. Number eight, learn how to heal your thoughts and emotions at the root. This is, be, this is more than just mind management. Heal generational curses. Heal the belief patterns that are keeping you bound. Now, if you don't know how to do that, she says actually she can help. Read stories, this is number nine, read stories of inspiring people. This one is so important. Read scriptures about inspiring people. Read stories that lift your heart and let you soak in beauty. Read stories where good triumphs. Read and memorize poems that do the same. Listen to music that does the same. Look at art that does the same. You notice something she didn't mention in there? Feast on the news cycle 24-7. Don't do that. Garbage in, garbage out. You want to feed yourself on fear? That's where you'll find it. It is in the news cycle. You want to feed your brain on something good? Do what she's saying. Read inspiring stories. Number 10, live each moment both like it's your last and also like you have a billion more to spare. Be present with what is before you. And then she invites others. If there's anything you'd add to that list, she says, well, I'd love to hear it. I think that's some of the best advice that I have come across in a while. This is really solid advice. And it's practical. It's not like something you have to wait for permission. Well, if if we can just get the county commissioners to agree to sign a resolution saying it's okay for all of us to do this. No, you don't have to wait for that. You can just jump right in and start today. So what's in it for you? Well, I think this is going to vary from person to person, but I think everything that Jamie has suggested here is a very solid way to not only be a source of light and goodness, not just by, you know, your beaming presence, but also by your actions. That's good, but it's also a source of peace. You cannot help but feel a degree of peace when you are doing good things, when you are dwelling upon good things. I know it's ironic I'm telling you this because about to talk about some things here that uh, perhaps are a little bit uh, scary. But actually, what I'm going to be covering here in, in the next little bit in the show, we'll talk a little bit about uh, enemy-driven thinking. It's very fashionable right now. I've got some great advice from Kent McManagle about don't make enemies over politics. I also have a great article from Michael Anton about uh, what does fidelity to our founding principles require today? I mean, if there's... Uh, if there's one thing that politicians all have, have in common, it seems it's an extreme flexibility of their principles. I also have some information about uh, how fact-checkers deceive. And just for fun, an excellent article from the Foundation for Economic Education. This is by Austin Peterson about how to buy things that make you money. That one, I'm I actually... I looked at that with great interest and, and being just a little bit of a pessimist. I'm like, yeah, the economy is, is just teetering right there on the edge. But I think knowledge is power and having the ability to, to be flexible, to roll with the changes. Um, you know, like, like Jamie suggests in there, uh, that one of the things that she had recommended, look at this here. She talks about not getting caught up in work. Yeah, number six, make plans to get out of whatever work situation you're in now. That is going to fly in the face of what a lot of us grew up believing. My parents' generation were very much of the mindset of, well, you get a job, you stick with that job. And, yeah, I mean, you stick with it until you get your gold watch and then you retire. My generation's a little bit different. We're a little more nomadic. We sometimes feel the call to move on to something else. And that's not something that I really enjoyed doing. In fact, I think I resisted it about as hard as it could be resisted for most of my life. Since I have learned to roll with the changes and embrace the changes as they come and to look for the opportunity that opens up when, you know, that door just closed behind you. It hasn't necessarily made my life easier, but it's given me something better because it turns out I really don't want an easy life after all. I want a life that has purpose. I want a life that actually Amounts to meaning something, meaning that, that that have had an impact or left a mark on the world that was for the better. I suspect I'm not alone in this, but if you really want to do that, you got to break out of that employee slash slave mindset of somebody needs to give me a job.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: I'm so happy to have Garage Door Pros as one of my sponsors, not only because they are the local company for Southwest Utah, St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, when it comes to installing, servicing, and repairing garage doors. They do it, and they do it very well. I've looked at the reviews their customers have left on their website at garagedoorproservices.com. And, and, man, I'm telling you, this company goes above and beyond. But I also love them for the fact that Seth, who is the owner of the company, is just a great guy. Not only is he helping people in terms of uh, their garage door needs, but... He's also a pretty savvy business guy and has, uh, has helped me considerably. And I just, I just want to tell you, I appreciate him. He's a good man. If you're looking for somebody trustworthy, you're looking for somebody that you can, you can count on to do the right thing, this is your guy. Garage Door Pros. Go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. So I know, enemy-driven thinking is all the rage right now. In fact, you know, a lot of people define themselves not so much by who or what they are, but rather who or what they're against. And I came across a recent article here from Kent McManagle. Don't Make Enemies Over Politics. Kent always has a great take. He always has a way of saying things succinctly. This is, uh, this is particularly good. Kent says, politics divides. If you distrust your neighbor because of political differences, it's not your neighbor or you who's at fault. It's politics. Some would even have you believe that we're at war with each other, but your neighbors aren't the enemy, even if they follow the enemy or if you do. So he says, don't let politics make you hate each other. That would be a tragedy. Kent McManagle says, I've heard people claim everything is political. That's not a healthy way of looking at life. It's not even a smart claim. Things are only political if someone makes them political by threatening to use government violence against any who disagree with them. That's what politics is. He says the major political parties infesting America are both guilty of antisocial behavior. Whichever side has the most government and corporate power at the moment is usually the worst offender. But this top position never lasts. Now, currently it's the left, but this hasn't always been the case. He says nothing should have been made political to begin with, but it was, and we are paying the price. A new cold virus shouldn't have been made political. People could have been warned it existed, then allowed to decide what to do with that information. Medical advice based on the best guesses could have been offered. This wasn't what happened. Instead, some people decided government should be used to force everyone to do what those in power imagined was the best thing to do. Control freaks among us helped government tyrants impose their will on the people. Now the economy is damaged, inflation has frittered away the value of our money, and broken people point fingers at each other instead of blaming the guilty ones who caused it. He says, I always try to assume the best of people until they show me this trust is misplaced. Unless a person comes up to you on the street and shoves a gun or a law in your face, assume they aren't one of the bad guys. If they treat you right by respecting your liberty... Give them the same courtesy. Those who won't respect your liberty may not understand the harm they're doing by supporting a political policy. They may not have considered the effects, only believing the lies told to them by the political criminals they follow. So he says, let's not treat each other as the enemy. Our real enemies don't want us united. They feed on the power you give them, so starve them instead. Oh, I love that last part. I think he's right. I know, there, there are people, oh, how can we possibly, you know, turn our backs on what's happening here? It's not turning your back. It's just choosing whether or not you're going to put your moral energy to work in a political sense or in some other sense. And believe it or not, a lot of the problem solving in the world today takes place outside of the realm of politics. Sometimes that's hard to remember. Because after all, if again, if you're consuming news, the news cycle is almost always dominated by politics. Look at the the big national legacy media outlets. Where do their stories always begin? Today in Washington, this is what happened because this is where the most important things, the the only important things ever happen. That is a load of manure. The most important things that are happening are those things that actually are taking place in your life. Now, yes, there are things that are going on in Washington, D.C. that do affect us. Sometimes in positive ways, most of the time in pretty negative ways. Usually, it's, most, it's mostly what we notice in, in our pocketbook. But don't believe for a moment that uh, the problems that need to be solved can only be solved by politics. That's just not true. You have other institutions like family, like community, like academia. Well, <laughs> to the point that it's not been politicized. Like business, to the point that it's not been politicized. Like media to the point that it's not been politicized. Am I making the point? Do you understand what I'm saying? Even religion to the point that it's not been politicized can be a wonderful problem solver. So why do we always defer to the one institution in society that needs force to accomplish what it wants to do? I believe it's because we're trained to think that way. From the time we're little kids, five years old, All right, everybody, stand up, give the pledge, and then we learn from there on that uh, government is there to help us and bless us and save us from environmental change. See, when I was a little kid, you know, first grade or so, I remember being told the ice age was coming. Nowadays, it's global warming. Nowadays, you know, there's something else. Look closer to where you're standing for the solutions. In fact, better, better than that. Be one of those people who's capable of providing solutions. All right, going to shift gears here. Let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about how politicians today don't really seem to understand principles. I have an article here from Michael Anton. This was adapted from a speech he delivered at the September 2022 meeting of the Philadelphia Society. What does fidelity to our founding principles require today? If historicism is false, then the American system can be lost. Tyranny can recur, but he says, did conservatives see this? Michael Anton says, We're all political people here, right? Huh? See, there it is, there it is. So we all know Senator Pat Geary, no? Well, he's the Nevada senator portrayed at the beginning of The Godfather 2. He tells Michael Corleone, I intend to speak very frankly to you, maybe more frankly than anyone in my positions ever talked to you. He tries to blackmail a mob boss and later ends up in bed with a dead hooker. I believe he was a Democrat. So just about the only thing I have in common with Senator Geary is that I intend to speak very frankly to you. Michael Anton says, What does fidelity to our founding principles require today? Let me begin to answer that question with a quote, perhaps a familiar quote to some of you or most of you, but it's apt. There's always a chance that some of you haven't heard it and that others could use a refresher. He says, The whole modern world has divided itself into conservatives and progressives. The business of progressives is to go on making mistakes. The business of conservatives is to prevent mistakes from being corrected. Even when the revolutionist might repent himself of his revolution, the traditionalist is already defending it as part of his tradition. Thus we have two great types, the advanced person who rushes us into ruin and the retrospective person who admires the ruins. He admires them especially by moonlight, not to say moonshine. Each new blunder of the progressive or prig Becomes instantly a legend of immemorial antiquity for the snob. This is called the balance or mutual check in our Constitution. Now, these words were spoken by G.K. Chesterton, a Brit, in 1924. And by the way, he was speaking of the British Constitution, not ours. But Michael Anton says the words strike me as especially apt to our situation. What have conservatives conserved? Well, before we answer that, hint, almost nothing. Let's first ask, what are they supposed to conserve? What do they say they are conserving in all those fundraising letters that they send out that have been netting them hundreds of millions of dollars per year for most of my lifetime? Well, first of all, the physical territory of the United States. Okay. So far, so good. That at least has been conserved, and given conservative support for the military and our posture during the Cold War, it's at least plausible that conservatives had something to do with that. Next, he talks about the people. Are they doing so well? All right, that's a little bit different answer. And we're going to jump right into the middle of it, just on the other side of these commercial messages. By the way, if you haven't signed up for my show notes, please visit my website, thebrianhideshow.com. At the bottom of the show notes, you'll see
0: a subscribe button. Hit it. Give me your email. I'll take it from there. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want
1: to mention that uh, September is National Preparedness Month, and wow, is this month going quickly. Only a couple more days to go. Why should you uh, be concerned that the month is almost over? Come on, we can prepare any time. That's true, and we probably should But I'd like you to consider that right now you can still get a nice 30% discount at lifesavingfood.com. That's one of my sponsors. Click on the link I provide in my show notes at thebryanhideshow.com and they'll take it from there. So I'm sharing this article by Michael Anton. What does fidelity to our founding principles require today? And I'm guessing that there is a more conservative bent to my audience than not. And so he asks, okay, conservative, what exactly are you trying to conserve? At first, he started with the physical territory of the United States, and he says, okay, so far, so good. That has been conserved, but what about people? Are we doing so well? Michael Anton says, we actually have declining life expectancies in America. We're the only nominally first world country that can say that. China, with a per capita income one-fifth of ours, recently passed the United States in life expectancy. Birth rates here have crashed Deaths of despair, opioids, alcoholism, and the like are soaring. Religiosity is down. Marriage is down. Divorce at least isn't up from its 1980 peak, but it's still endemic. Now, you might say that conservatives are not at fault for this. Okay, fair enough. But their stated purpose is to conserve. And it's rather evident they've failed to conserve these aspects of decent human life. And that's before we even get to demographic transformation. One of those things that's both not happening. And it's great that it is. Third, he says, I would say that is the American way of life. Now, some of that's covered in what I just said. But he says there are others, for instance, the total of unaffordability of housing, especially for younger people. It's impossible for average earners now to buy, except in the very cheapest markets, which also happen to be where there are the fewest opportunities. We may add to this deindustrialization, the decline of the middle class, wage stagnation, falling standards of living, and the increasing necessity of a college degree in the job market. At a time when colleges teach less and less, charge more and more, and vacuum up middle class wealth to enrich what are effectively hedge funds with bad schools attached. Fourth and certainly not least is the American regime itself. Have we conserved that? Does it function as it was designed to do? Michael Anton says, is a political scientist and an historian of sorts. Before before that, he says, I find that uh, question laughable. If any of you want to make the case that we still live in the founders regime, go ahead. Meanwhile, I'll tell you what I see. A giant, unaccountable, unelected fourth branch of government that does what it wants without input or supervision from the people. And that usurps executive, legislative, and judicial power. Rights are routinely trampled. Two-track justice, one standard for friends of the regime, another for its enemies, is now the norm. Just last week, a man killed with his car, a teenager, for the crime of being a Republican. He's already out on bail. Meanwhile, there are still dozens of January 6th protesters in pretrial detention for ridiculous non-crimes such as parading. The Justice Department, FBI, CIA, all the security agencies are out of control in attacking American citizens. The FBI is now doing SWAT raids for misdemeanors. Earlier this month, the President of the United States gave a speech calling half the American population enemies of the state. He says, I could go on. And what is conservatism's response to all this? What is the response of the weasels, compromisers, mediocrities, and losers of the Republican-Conservative-Libertarian establishment? I says, those are not my words, but I like them. They sum up things concisely, accurately, and vividly. Conservatism's response is to get angry. But not at any of these abuses or the people who commit them. No, rather it gets angry at people like Molly Hemingway or Julie Kelly or Heather Macdonald and others who point out these outrageous abuses. Conservatives have long believed that the noblest thing they can do is police their own side. Well, the left never does this. The left works overtime to ensure that its people are excused of murder, arson, and rioting. Meanwhile, the conservatives eagerly seek the death penalty for their own over parking tickets. Now, he says, am I saying we should be more like the left? A little. We should be more loyal, for instance. But he says, I'm not saying that we should excuse arson and rioting, but that's moot anyway, since our side doesn't do that, walking through the doors held open by the Capitol Police notwithstanding. For conservatives, the most heroic act of the 20th century was not D-Day or the moon landing, but William F. Buckley Jr. purging the John Birchers. Hence, they're always on the lookout for more purges. Whole careers and institutions are now made of this. Think of the bulwark in The Dispatch of Bill and Steve and Jonah and David and Kevin. All of these conservatives now are character assassins out to destroy the lives of anyone, even a clique to their right, many their former friends. Michael Anton says, one thing I've noticed is that conservatives get really mad when you point out that people who treat you like enemies are, in fact, your enemies. Finally, the conservatives find a backbone and in righteous indignation to refer to someone libeling you, trying to cancel you, calling for your extirpation, or even assassination as an enemy. How dare you? Civility and politics above all else. Well, what, else what explains this? Well, he says, Let me give you another quote, this one from a movie. T- try to hear this in your head with Robert De Niro's accent. I'm sorry, but he knew about our getting hit on three, mach- three big machines in a row, and he did nothing about it. That means he was either in on it or, forgive me for saying this, he was too dumb to see what was going on. Either way, I cannot have a man like that working here. Now, the operative phrase here being in on it. In other words, part of the operation to ensure that the right is forever feckless and useless and to destroy anyone on the right who scores real points against our anti-conservative, anti-liberal, anti-American, and brace yourselves, I'm going to say it, increasingly anti-white regime. Actually, this is what gets conservatives most upset. Noticing that the regime is all of the above. Quoting the left's own radical words back to them makes conservatives apoplectic. Not with rage exactly. I don't think they have enough thumos for rage. But with a kind of terror. Oh no! He said it! Now they'll get really mad. Let's not rock the boat. Peace above all. Then to appease the leftist god that's been angered, the conservatives go looking for another scalp to sacrifice on the altar of Concord. Let's see what rightist can we disembowel next. Anyway, either they're in on it, or they're moted by a dedication to principle in air quotes so perverse as to be self negating. It is plausible, and we may say the explanation fits the observable fact that the conservatives are the way they are because they've completely internalized the narrative of the left. They believe that America is irredeemably evil and racist. They believe that they are horrible people burdened with a kind of original sin, not the one in the Bible, but rather one cooked up by 20th century academic leftists and, individ- and intellectuals rather. They believe that the white race is the cancer of human history, and so they believe that they deserve to lose and even to die. So, to return to our stated topic, to the extent that the modern conservative takes his principles seriously, he must oppose the founding principles which are not conceivable, absent the American Revolution. But he must oppose the revolution, what with its friend-enemy distinction, its radicalism, its instability, its incivility, incivility, rather, its violence. Plus, of course, its racism, sexism, classism, lack of transgender bathrooms in Independence Hall, though, for all I know, maybe they're there now, and all the rest. Michael Anton says it's ridiculous for modern conservatives to profess to admire George Washington The real George Washington did things, many things that the modern conservative cannot countenance in theory, much less in practice. In the speech I referenced earlier, he says, Joe Biden said, there is no place for political violence in America. Period. None. Ever. Now leave aside the fact that his team commits such violence almost daily and with impunity. As a historical and theoretical matter, the statement is ridiculous. It's just a historical fact that violence birthed America Now, granted, that violence was justified, organized, careful, and the furthest thing from indiscriminate. But the American Revolution still waged a war against a government that considered itself legitimate. Now all governments consider themselves legitimate. The worst tyrants never concede for an instant that they are anything but ordained by God, or if they're atheists, by some kind of natural order or interpretation of history. This only means that anyone invoking the right of revolution in practice had better carefully think through the circumstances and know that he is right, not just theoretically or justified morally, but also that that's the prudent course to pursue in the here and now. In short, he needs to be reasonably sure that he can win and do better than the present regime. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. Sound familiar? And conservatives who who should know better reject all this. At best, they study the revolution out of historical curiosity. They claim not to be historicists, at least those who know what historicism is, and they deny that designation for themselves. But they are, in fact, all Hegelians. Pretty powerful stuff, huh? This is a truth bomb if I ever heard one. Again, this is Michael Anton. I'm going to let you discover the rest of his article. There's still more to it, and you will find it in my show notes, which you can access at thebryanhideshow.com. While you're there, consider signing up for those show notes, and I'll drop a copy in your email inbox every morning.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back.
1: Hslamo.com is one of my sponsors. I'm telling you about them because, uh, number one, I like the shooting sports. I think it's a wonderful way to spend time. It's a great way to develop skill at arms. Ammo, by the way, is the key to doing that. That's how you convert money into skill. I also like the idea that, you know, not everybody can afford gold and silver, but uh, stocking up on ammunition is not so much a you know an indicator oh you think doomsday is coming you're going to be hiding in your bunker it's a wonderful stable store of value and i know there are those who will laugh at the idea that why are you saying copper brass and lead are somehow precious metals but the truth is they are in the sense that people will always want and need and be willing to pay or trade barter if you will for ammunition so Get some to go train with. Get some to set aside. Maybe, you know, I don't know. If economic tough times come, you got a little bit of a fallback there. If there's something that you need, maybe you can work out some kind of a trade. Now, of course, I'm suggesting everything be done within the law and the IRS properly paid its due. Wink, wink. But HSLammo.com is a great place to start. High quality, new and remanufactured ammunition. All right. Couple things to share here in this segment of the show. Um... I I first shared yesterday a story from uh, Thorstein Siglosson. I guess he's from Iceland. Interesting name, and I'm going to get better as as I keep saying it. He has a marvelous article on the Brownstone Institute's website, Another Flub by the Fact Checkers. And I just want to share this example. I'm I'm not going to give you the whole article, but um, to to understand how the fact checkers deceive and how they uh, help to shepherd people and keep them within the boundaries of allowable opinion. This is a perfect example. He says, Recently, Danish health authorities decided to stop making COVID vaccines and boosters available to the general population under the age of 50. Note, the general population, not absolutely everyone under 50. Now, this interesting development and the fact that the rationale for this decision has not been properly explained has clearly wrought havoc among those whose day job is to protect the reputation of those medications. Flora Teo the science editor of the fact-checking website Health Feedback has now written an article which supposedly refutes the standard summary of this decision. In other words, the Danish health authorities have banned vaccines and boosters for nearly everyone under 50. He says, Teo's article is a typical fact-checking piece. She starts by stating a claim, Denmark banned COVID-19 vaccines for anyone under 50, which she then proceeds to refute. But the problem is, no one has made that claim. Two sources are listed although the facts being checked are supposedly contained in a headline above a video and a tweet linking back to an article, not in the YouTube video and the article themselves. The first headline, which refers to a video by Clay Travis, reads, Denmark bans COVID shot for people under 50 years old. The second, which is a tweet posted on Toby Young's account, linking to a piece by, uh, by the author here, in this case uh, Thorstein Siglason reads, Denmark has banned the use of COVID-19 vaccines for people under 50, saying the benefits are too low. What it conspicuously fails to mention, though it surely knows, is that the risks are also too high. Now, unfortunately, he says, neither the headline nor the tweet state what Tao claims they state. Namely, that Denmark banned the COVID shots for anyone under 50. See, the word anyone is crucial here. Instead, All that's being claimed is that the vaccines have been banned in general for people under 50, and the discussion that follows in both cases contains details in which under 50s are exempt from this ban. So those are, in effect, headlines. Headlines routinely generalize and exaggerate the contents of the videos and articles they're flagging. So he goes on to some other examples here. Food crisis if we ditch Russian oil, the Times claimed on September 19th of 2022. While the article itself details that this is in fact the opinion of one central banking institute. In other words, it's not a fact that ditching Russian oil means food crisis. It's the opinion of some. High-profile Dems silent when asked about housing migrants, Fox News said in a headline the same day. But if you read the main text, it turns out... That doesn't apply to all high-profile Democrats, only a handful. Now, if Fox had said all high-profile Dems silent, its headline would be wrong, but it doesn't. Thus, it isn't wrong. And by the same token, Denmark's ban on COVID shots for people under 50 applies to almost everyone, but there are a few exceptions. Headlines are headlines branding a video description or a tweet as misinformation because they contain condensed and generalized information with a more detailed discussion in what follows, has nothing to do with checking facts. It's just about creating straw men, especially when the fact checker even distorts the quoted headline to make it fit her narrative. And that's exactly what Flora Teo does in her article by adding the crucial word, anyone. This is really good stuff. This is, this is like mental vitamins to help you recognize when people are manipulating the truth here. And the idea here is that Flora Teo's article has nothing to do with checking facts or even correcting wrong statements. All it has to do is, is, all it has to do with is creating an attacking strawman, by distorting headlines, by ignoring the crucial difference between headlines and the text they refer to, and presenting a number of unsubstantiated or false statements. So her key takeaway doesn't even address the issue in question. It's just simply pure propaganda for the vaccines. What a great article. Again, you'll find it in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. All right. Final one that I wanted to point you toward is an article from Austin Peterson, and this is from uh, the Foundation for Economic Education, How to Buy Things That Make You Money. This is, I think, something that we all need a reminder of. There's an old saying that still holds true. You have to spend money to make money. And the first time you experience having extra money left over after paying bills, that's a great feeling, right? You feel secure. You could buy a new PlayStation or make a down payment on a vehicle. You can go to a show or maybe out to a really nice dinner or maybe even treat your friends. The problem with the first two examples, though, is you're buying depreciating assets. And regarding the last two, he says the enjoyment you get won't last longer than the meal or the show. In other words, you've spent money that isn't coming back. Now, there's nothing wrong with spending money on entertainment, of course or even on stuff that we want. Austin Peterson says, we all do it in virtually every day, but this is not the only way to spend money. He says, it's easy to forget that you can actually buy things that will make you money. And there's a surprising number of ways to do it, and it's easier than you might think. So it could be as simple as buying an asset that has historically held or increased in value over time. Things like guns, gold, artwork... Or it could be as complex as buying an entire business. You can even take things you have lying around and find ways to have them make you money instead of doing nothing, like a sewing machine, for example. So I'm just going to go through a real quick list of a few things you could spend your money on that will likely generate a return on your investment. Number one, he talks about vending machines. Now, he points out vending machines aren't cheap. Buying a new one could run in anywhere from $3,000 to $7,000 dollars. But you can generally find good deals for them online, often for as little as $1,200. And the hardest part will be finding a good place to put it. And you'll have to share some of your profits with the owner of the property where you place it. And of course, you'll have to pay to keep it restocked and maintained. And it's also important to think about what the people who are at that location might need. So you set your profit margins at a comfortable rate. Choose a location with good foot traffic. Yeah, you can make yourself some money. Number two. I like this one, 3D printers. Here's a coupon linked in his article that he says can get you an awesome 3D printer for only $100. In fact, he says, I've used it to buy eight of them. Now, sure, there's a learning curve in the filament or plastic that's used to make items cost about $20 each. But you can make lots of products with just one of those filament rolls. Whatever you make, and you can make a lot, you can sell online or in person, See, I'd be kind of looking towards the ones, uh, how can I print my own (laughs) AR-15? That's just just how I'm thinking. Number three, he suggests start an online store. Number four, buy dividend-bearing stocks. And he goes into detail on each one of these, but these are just great suggestions. The bottom line is, it's all about mindset. To help you at least think about different ways you can spend your money to make money. This is what we mean by capital, by the way. When people invest capital, they're not just consuming, they're using that money and putting it to good work so that they can actually make something useful, something that will be helpful to other people. I know this seems like a really weird time to be thinking about making money when it looks like the economy is right on the verge of collapse. But uh, this is how entrepreneurs think. And and perhaps you've heard this, maybe you don't believe it, but uh, during the Great Depression, I mean, when the market was falling, when there were people jumping out of windows because their life savings were gone, there were also people who saw opportunity, not in exploiting the people who were, you know, struggling, but in how to create value while everything around them was crashing. Now, training yourself to think this way, not exactly easy, but I'll tell you what, with the help of uh, writers like Austin Peterson... You may just have a little uh, bit of a leg up on the competition. So he says, the next time you have some extra cash left over from your paycheck, consider spending that money on something that could actually make you money. In fact, he says it could be the first step you take into a whole new world. And he says that based on, uh, it's that uh, entrepreneurial mindset that will really make the difference for you. And it's not something we're necessarily born with. I mean, we kind of have to develop it definitely something we're thinking about
0: this is the Brian Hyde show